Uh, well, good morning. Uh, we're in the final uh, stretch of what we've been doing really for a year and a half now, which is working our way through the Gospels in chronological order. And so we're really like chronologically getting right towards the end. We're just right before uh, the last week of Jesus's life. Uh, in, in a few weeks, we'll go to the the triumphal entry as Jesus comes in Jerusalem for that last week. And so we're getting really close to that ending part. And so as we've been seeing, as Jesus is kind of making this last journey to Jerusalem on his way, he has these different interactions with people and he meets different people and he's talking to them and uh, healing them and all these sorts of things. And so we're going to look at one of those interactions that's right there in that time, right before he goes into Jerusalem for the last time. And he comes across this man, a blind man that it tells us is a beggar, whose name is Bartimaeus, and he meets him on the road right outside of Jericho. Uh, And it's a pretty simple story, really, if you think about it. I mean, you just heard Jeff read it. It's only seven verses. Meets a blind man on the side of the road, and he heals him, and then kind of goes on. You go, okay, it's a pretty simple, straightforward story. But I really uh, love this story for a couple reasons. Uh, One is I just love when you really stop, if you've ever spent time in God's word and you think about it and you think about these people and what their life was like and what this must have been and think about this guy and how cool this interaction is and that Jesus takes time for him and what happens here. But I really love this story because when you read it and you think about it and you think about this guy Bartimaeus, what I love about it is Bartimaeus' story is my story. Uh, And it's actually, if you've put your faith in Jesus, it's your story too. And I want to show you that today, that it's not just something that we skim over real quickly. And, oh, that's a nice story, and he healed them, and what goes on. But it's actually much more than that. It's your story, and it's my story as well. And I want us to think about that today. But then secondly, I really love this passage because one of my favorite uh, worship songs we're going to sing after the sermon today, after communion, is a song called Son of David, and it's based on this passage and so when you, when you have a song that you really like and you sing it and you think about it and all those things, the passage where that comes from is always really powerful and meaningful to me. That I stop and I think about those things and the song comes directly from it and it tells this story. And I love that. And I love that because of this reason. You know, when we gather here for worship, right, we, we pray and we sing songs and we have preaching and we take the Lord's Supper. But when we sing those songs, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but the songs we sing are part of the teaching ministry of the church, right? Oftentimes you'll leave remembering maybe a song or it's caught in your head or you're singing it. Or I love that you think about it, what we just sang, right? We just sang, Be Thou My Vision. I don't know if you know this, but that's probably the oldest song we sing here. Written in probably around 1200, right? And so you think about how cool that is. For eight, almost 900 years, the church has been singing those words. And then we sing them together. I don't know if you noticed, but we started that song and all of a sudden the volume went up. I think, how cool that here we are together singing this song that proclaims who Jesus is and who God is and his greatness. And it's got this wonderful theology. And for almost a thousand years, the church has been singing that song. And so the songs we sing are really important. They're an important part of the teaching ministry of the church. And so when we come to these passages that just lay out clearly the words to some of the songs we sing, I'm always like, yes, hear this. Because when we sing it later, I want that to be ringing in your mind. And what I really want you to see is it's this wonderful story of Bartimaeus, but it's also your story. And so when we sing that song together, we're singing about what God has done for us. So with that in mind, I want us to look at this passage, just seven verses in Mark chapter 10. 
And really the way I want us to look at it is I just want us to walk through this story together and think about Bartimaeus. But then I also want us to kind of make the connection how this is actually our story too. And I want you to really think about that with me. So how it's this, just what happens here and the coolness of this story, but how it's our story too. But then secondly, how it's easy for us to forget that. It's easy for us to forget that we're just like Bartimaeus in this story. And so let's look at that together. The first part here is we just think about this story. You know, when you read a passage in the Bible like this, you, you're, if you're reading through the Bible in a year or you're just kind of going through the Gospels and you get to this and it's seven verses, you know, you can read these verses in 20 seconds and move on and just kind of gloss right over it. And, and I'll confess, I do that a lot. I read the Bible every day and a lot of times you read things and you just kind of go right past it. Some of it today is our attention span and it's easy for us to just kind of gloss over things. But I love to really stop and think about these stories and what it must have been like. Uh, I had a professor in seminary, one of the very first classes I took. Dr. Holbert taught uh, the Gospels, kind of an overview of the Gospels. And he was this guy that loved geography. He had been to Israel like 20 times. He'd taken all these trips. He'd made some cool videos about where things were. And when you were in his class, he would say things like, and now Jesus got up with his disciples and it says they went from here to here. That would be like us walking to the outlet mall. And you go, oh, okay. Like you knew that he knew all the distances and all the things. And so what he used to say is, I want you as you're reading God's word, as you're reading the gospels to walk in their sandals, to really think about what it would have been like. And what these conversations would have been like. And these people that Jesus meets, what their life was like. And what they were dealing with and the things that they had coming at them. And so I so appreciated the way Dr. Holbert did that. Because he opened my eyes to a lot of things that I'd never even thought about. And so when I was thinking about the story of Bartimaeus and what his life was like. You know, one of the things that we can kind of forget. And this is a really obvious truth and you know this. But remember, in Jesus's day, the way that information traveled, there were no cell phones, there were no TVs, there were no radios, it wasn't like newspapers in the way that we have them, all these kind of things in the which, so you start to think about the way in which information was disseminated. My brother, I saw my brother last week in Houston, and we were talking about this, and he said, I'm reading a book right now. He said, it's really cool to think about that, that Jesus, God comes in the flesh and he comes to this place and he walks around and Jesus, Jesus, as he goes and where he moves and you follow his movements. And what my brother said to me, Jeremiah said, I'm reading this book and the guy pointed out that Jesus walked in his entire life where he went and the time in which he did it, that he moved at a pace of three miles per hour. Always, right? There's, there's no cars, there's no airplanes, there's no, it's just going in those areas and walking along the way. And he said, man, how much do we miss because we're moving so much faster than that? I thought, wow, right? I think that's true when we read the, God's word. And we're like, ah, I got to get to work. I got to do my reading, go through it. And we don't stop to consider the people here and what their life was like, right? And so there's no cell phones. There's no uh, radios. There's no TV. And so you read this story and it says in verse 46, they came to Jericho and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. And Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. And so I want you to think about Bartimaeus, a blind guy sitting on the side of the road in this place. How did he know who Jesus was? You ever think that? You read through that 
And he hears it's Jesus of Nazareth and he starts to call out for him and he starts to say these things. And you go, how did he ever know that? How did he know who he was? And the truth is he probably had heard people talk about Jesus. I don't know, Jesus maybe had, had moved through the town or in that area at some time. And maybe before Bartimaeus had heard him speak. Right? As Jesus went and he traveled and he taught and he moved from place to place. Maybe Bartimaeus heard him speak. Maybe he heard stories about him. Maybe there, right outside the town, he'd hear people walk by and talking and they would talk about what they'd seen him do and the miracles that they'd heard about and the miracles that they had seen. Whatever it is, those ways in which he had heard, but he'd never seen Jesus. It tells us he's blind. He had only heard these things. But then there he sits on this day and all of a sudden, I'm sure he heard the chatter that Jesus is coming. Right? Jesus is here. He's in our town and he's coming. And then it tells us there that he hears, uh, the crowd that's coming by, right? There's a great crowd and they're all following Jesus. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, so you're a blind guy sitting by the road. Jesus is walking with throngs of people everywhere. I'm sure he heard that crowd moving. He could hear the people talking. He could hear the excitement. He could hear what was going on, but he's blind sitting by the roadside. And he desperately wants to meet Jesus. But how is he ever going to meet Jesus? Verse 47, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? The big crowd is moving by. Can, can you hear almost the desperation in what he says? He can't get up and get to Jesus. He can't see anything. He just knows there's a lot of people and that Jesus is somewhere in the midst And so the only thing he has at his disposal is to cry out. Son of David, have mercy on me. Can you see the picture? Can you see the big throng of people coming by and the blind guy sitting over in the corner screaming? Son of David. And he's yelling out for Jesus. It's one of the reasons I love the song that we sing, the Son of David song. It says, they reach out for him. And if I could see, I would reach out too. But he can't see. And so he has to cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. And so he does. And he starts to yell. And there's kind of a desperation in his yelling. I don't know if you thought about this, why he says, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? The, the messianic prophecy in Second Samuel, God tells David that you're going to have a descendant that's going to come. And he's going to sit on the throne forever. His throne will be without end. It'll be eternal Right? That's a messianic prophecy that from David's line is going to come the Messiah. And so as he yells, son of David, have mercy on me. It's a, it's a call of faith. I'm believing that you're the Messiah, that you're the son of David. You're the one that we've waited for. Have mercy on me. And he screams out. But look at what happens. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Right? You're making a fool of yourself, bro. Stop yelling. Right? He's busy. He's got lots of people around him. He doesn't have time for you. Stop it. But then it says, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus stops and he calls him over. He says, bring him over. Uh, This passage is also in Luke chapter 18. They're almost identical in the way they tell it. But in Luke's, it says he calls and says for people to bring him to him. Right, Because he can't really just hop up and go straight to him. He doesn't know exactly where he is. And so they bring him over. 
and they bring him to Jesus, and he says to him, right? Actually, when they stand up, they call the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you, right? The desperation, have mercy on me. And they go, he heard you, get up. He's calling you. And they start to bring him over, and they bring him to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And so Jesus heals him. And I want you just to think about this guy's life for a minute. Imagine growing up blind. And you're now a beggar on the side of the road. We've actually seen this before. We've seen Jesus deal with people like this before. It's hard to work at this time. It's hard to make a living It's hard to do these things and you can't see. And so here he is, a blind beggar on the side of the road. And all he can do is cry out in desperation, son of David, please have mercy on me. And he's believing that he can do it. And so when we sing the song in a minute, I love towards the end how it says, I could never leave this gate, but I will stand and shout his name and I will count on his grace. And that's all this guy's got. Son of David, have mercy on me. And if Jesus doesn't hear him, or he's too busy, or he goes on his way, he's just still sitting there. But they say, take heart, he heard you. And he comes, and Jesus heals him. And so I love this story, but I love the song as you think about that and that desperation and have mercy, and Jesus does. And he stops and he meets him there. And we're going to sing that in a minute, and I don't want you to miss it when we sing that song, but I also want you to recognize that this is also our story. It's not just Bartimaeus. If you would, turn with me for just a second to Titus chapter 3. If you're using the Bible in front of you, it's on page 1241. If you're using your own Bible, it's about halfway through the New Testament. Right? Titus is one of the, we call pastoral epistles. Apostle Paul writes to Titus, who is a pastor in Crete, to encourage him. It's right after First and Second Timothy, which are also pastoral epistles, as Paul writes to Timothy. If you get to Philemon or Hebrews, you've gone too far. It's right before those. But Titus chapter 3, Paul's writing to Titus to encourage him to encourage the people in his church. And they live in Crete, which was a really, really hard place. Right? Have you ever heard the term Cretans? It's where it comes from. Right? You get it, you conjure up an image when you hear that, right? They were tough people, they were difficult. And so he's writing to Titus and he's saying, encourage your people that live there to be kind and gracious to everyone. Even those that are ugly to you. Even when it's difficult. But then listen to the reasoning he gives and what he says in Titus chapter 3 verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, Deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. And he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that Having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And so catch what he's saying. He says, you be kind and gracious to people who are difficult, who are ugly, who are mean, 
who talk bad about you, who fight with you, who all these things. He says, because before you met Jesus, you were the exact same way. Right Before the Spirit moved in your life and opened your eyes to see who Jesus was, you were just like that. And he says, don't forget that. That the only way that you're not like that anymore, or you're, you're changing from that, or you're growing to be kind and gracious, and the, the fruit of the Spirit being in your life is because by grace, God saved you. And he moved in your life, and he started to work in you. And so he says, don't miss that. Because if you miss it, you'll begin to operate in a religious spirit rather than walking in the spirit. We talked about this two weeks ago. So the, the difference between a religious spirit and walking in the fruit of the spirit of the Holy Spirit in your life, right? We, we looked at the, the uh, story of the Pharisee praying. Thank God I'm not like that guy over there, right? Remember that? And the other guy standing over there beating his chest going, God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, the guy who's saying, have mercy on me, is the one walking in the spirit. The guy who's saying, thank God I'm not like those other people, is the one who has a religious spirit, right? And so when we miss the heart of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us, we quickly make it about what we do rather than what Jesus has done. And it's so easy for us to slip into that. It's so easy for that to be the way in which we operate It leads us to what it says here, to be disobedient and deceived and enslaved to passions and pleasures. We live in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. It's almost the exact same language he uses in Galatians 5 that we looked at two weeks ago. Malice and envy, looking down on people, looking up to other people, comparing yourself. We said that's what it looks like to have a religious spirit versus walking in the spirit. Yes? Do you know what Jesus says about that when we operate that way? You know, he says to the religious leaders of the day, the guys that are standing there going, I'm glad I'm not like that person over there. You know what he calls them? Blind fools. Woe to you, blind guides. Right? You get to Matthew chapter 24, 23 and 24, and he says it like six or seven times. He says they're blind. They're blind because they're missing who God is. They're thinking that they can do it by what they do and that they've contributed and that they're part of it, but they're blind. They're blind to the truth of who God is and what he's done. They're blind to the fact that they can never be made righteous by what they do. And the description that you have here in Titus 3, this idea of being blind to the things of God, Right, the, That picture of what Jesus is saying, woe to you, blind guides. Bartimaeus' physical description is you and me, all of us, spiritually speaking, apart from Jesus. We're blind apart from Jesus. And what Titus 3 says, the only way that you ever see him, the only way that that's ever rectified, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Do you hear what he's saying? He says, the way that you were saved is that Jesus comes and he gives you his mercy. And because of what Jesus has done, the Spirit comes into your life 
And he opens your eyes to see Jesus because you were spiritually blind before. And now you see him and you put your faith in him. And that's the only way it works. So please hear this. When you read the story of this blind beggar on the side of the road going, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's me. That's you. If you know Jesus. How did Bartimaeus ever get to know who Jesus was? He came to that area. And he began to preach and teach. And the word went out. And the spirit was calling people to himself and stirring them up. And he heard these stories. And he heard who he was. And he heard what he could do. And he walked into his town. And he's here. And you go, well, how did he ever have the courage to say, Son of David, have mercy on me? Because the spirit moved in his heart. He said, I believe he can heal me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he began to cry out. Do you see that if you've put your faith in Jesus, you've recognized that you can never be reconciled to God by what you do, by your righteousness, by your works, that it's only what God has done, that we are exactly like Bartimaeus. We're dead in our trespasses and our sins, but God being rich in mercy has caused us to become alive in Jesus. Or what it says here in Titus chapter 3. You used to be like these things, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteousness that we've done, but because of his mercy. It's the exact same story of Bartimaeus. So I love this song. I love this song because it tells the story of this guy. And I love thinking about Bartimaeus and the way that Jesus saved him and his grace to him. But then when I hear that song, I go, man, that's exactly what he did for me. He moved and he opened my eyes and he met me there and he allowed me to see who he is. And it's by his mercy and nothing else. And so when we sing that song and we talk about him coming and the king is coming. And the crowds are gathering around. And the only way that I can I can hold onto this gate and scream, son of David, have mercy on me. And he does. I love that story. I love that song for that reason. But the second thing I want you to consider, you go, okay, yes, I'm saved by grace through faith. We say that all the time. We come back to that and you go, yes, I'm saved by grace through faith. But how do we forget that? Sometimes we do miss that. Sometimes we're saying that and living in a different way. Right? We're going, yes, I'm saved by grace. And here's the problem I think that happens. A lot of times we understand that cognitively and we say that. Say, I'm saved and I know it's all Jesus and it's not my works. But then we operate that Jesus comes and he takes our sin and he dies for our sins and he gives us his works. And he gives us a clean slate. And now we got to work really hard to be the best Christian that we can be. And that's your job. You ever feel that way? Now it's on me. He gave me a clean slate. I get to start over. So now I get to do this. And we start to believe that we can do it. Right? We, we forget that we were blind. And the only way that we can see is because God allowed us to see. And he's doing it through his grace. And so what we quickly start to do is we start to miss 
the very heart of what it says on how he saves us and what he's doing. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Why did you ever see Jesus? When did you ever get to the place of, God, I am a sinner and I want to put my trust in what Jesus has done? Because the Spirit moved in your life and he opened your eyes to see that. By the grace of God, he's working in and through you and he's opening your eyes to see those things. But yet what we often do or our functional belief is, yes, God is the author of my salvation and yes, he saved me and yes, that was his doing, but now I got to do the rest. But the truth is when you come to faith, it's all Jesus. It's his mercy and grace to you. He opens your eyes. You put your faith in him. But then as you begin to grow in obedience, it's still all Jesus. He's the one showing you. How do you know your sin? You know what the Bible says? The the spirit moves and convicts you of sin. He shows you that you're out of step, that you're not fully trusting God. But the wonderful good news of the gospel is as the spirit shows you that and you go, oh, I'm not. And then he reminds you, but Jesus has done it. And he's done it for you. Continue to trust in him. Continue to make it all about him in every way. Even your sanctification is God's grace in your life. Even your discipleship, even your growth. In all those things, it's all Jesus doing that. And it's trusting him every day in all those things. And how easy it is for us to start to think it's us. That it's my doing. Look at me. Right? How long did it take before Bartimaeus forgot that he was blind? Oh, he never forgot that. Huh. I bet there's some days he kind of did. Do you ever forget that you were spiritually dead? We do. We start to believe that like, look at me and I'm pretty good and I'm doing all right. But what the Bible says is that anything good I ever do is by God's grace. And it's so easy for us to forget that. And so we need to be reminded. And again, I'm going to tell you, that's why I love this song. We need to be reminded over and over that we desperately need God's grace every day. And not just every day, but every moment of every day. (laughs) What a wonderful, I woke up this morning. I thought about this all last night and I was thinking about it and I went to sleep. I woke up this morning and I rolled over and the first thing I said was, son of David, have mercy on me. And you know why I said that? Because God's good and his spirit's reminding me that I need him every moment of every day and everything I do. And it's so easy for us to say that in our justification and our salvation in that moment when we see it and then forget it in our discipleship or forget it in our sanctification. And we need to be reminded over and over and over again. That it's all what Jesus is doing. And it's the Spirit's work in our life. It's why we need to stay connected to his word. It's why we need to be praying. God, show me. Right? How, how do I recognize the things that are not good? It's the Spirit showing me. God, show me where I'm, I'm missing it. It's why we so desperately need to be in community. Even when you're asking that and even when you're saying that, there's still blind spots that you have that you need other people speaking into your life. And, they, and the goal 
the picture in the Bible, biblically what we should be doing is speaking into one another's life, a reminding each other of who we are in Jesus. Jesus has done all this and trust him in all these things. And he wants your best in all of it. And so as we do and we begin to, we begin to follow him in all things, trusting him in all ways. And it's so easy for us to forget that. And so I tell you, I love this song because I love the story. I love the song because it's a reminder that it's my story. But I love this song when we sing it because I need to be reminded of this. Every day I need to wake up and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, I need you as much today as I did yesterday and the day before and as much as I will tomorrow. Would you continue to show me how you're moving and working in my life and trusting him in everything? It's the only way that this works. and It's the way God's designed us to be and to live. So we're going to stand and sing that song in a minute. And I just ask that you think through what Jesus has done in your life. And what does it look like to put your trust fully in his mercy in all things? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that you love us, that you meet us where we are, that the only way that we ever come to see you is because you graciously moved in our lives and you opened our eyes and you showed us who you are. I pray that as we leave this place and the busyness of life presses in and we start to forget those things in different ways that you would remind us that we stand solely by your grace, that we would see it afresh this day. I pray that the overflow of our hearts would be, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, show me day by day, moment by moment. Holy Spirit, come. Show us the areas where we're not fully trusting you. Remind us of what Jesus has done for us. We pray that we would see that in all things and in all ways, and we pray all of it. In Jesus' precious name, amen.